a war over chips, and not the savory kind sold in supermarkets. These are microchips, also known as semiconductors. Found in iPhones and computers and advanced fighter jets, microchips are the brains of modern life. And it seems China is falling behind in making them. Thousands of Chinese chip companies are closing, marking a 70% rise from the year before. What do these record closures mean for U.S.-China relations? And as the world teeters on the edge of an all-out war, how much of a role will these tiny chips play? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Chinese chip companies are shutting down on the large scale. According to Chinese media, about 6,000 chip companies in China deregistered in 2022. It marks an almost 70% rise from the year before. In just the last quarter of 2022, 15 chip companies shut down daily on average. As for why, a Chinese website that reports on the chip industry shared a sum up. First, some companies entered the market to take advantage of what had become a major industry trend, but many of them later withdrew after finding out there was little profit to be made. Second, U.S. sanctions put further pressure on the industry. And third, the entire chip industry is enduring a recession. According to a macroeconomist from Taiwan, the division of labor across different countries also makes it difficult for China to remain a top player in the market. The entire production process is divided into several sections. For example, optical technology is from ASML in the Netherlands, special chemical materials are from Japan, semiconductor memory is from South Korea, manufacturing, packaging and testing are finally completed in Taiwan, and chip design software happens in the U.S. Wu said China has no path to success in the chip industry without working with the U.S. Under this competitive situation, China must cooperate with the U.S. and improve Sino-U.S. relations before it can develop the semiconductor industry. However, Xi Jinping is now fighting against the U.S. and wants to compete for world power. Of course, the U.S. is blocking Chinese companies in the semiconductor sector. The Biden administration added China's biggest chipmaker, YMTC, to a trade blacklist in January. And now, nearly two months later, the company has decided to lay off 10 percent of its workforce. The Ukrainian war is once again drawing public attention. That's after Chinese diplomat Wang Yi traveled to Russia as President Biden visits Ukraine. Let's zoom in. U.S. President Joe Biden is paying a visit to Kyiv, promising to provide new military aid to show solidarity with Ukraine. During the visit, Biden complimented Ukraine's resistance in the last year. I thought it was critical that there would not be any doubt, none whatsoever, about U.S. support for Ukraine in their war against the brutal attack by Russia. He also promised to provide $500 million worth of weaponry to support Ukraine. On the other hand, China's top diplomat Wang Yi has landed in Moscow. Reports say he could put forward China's ideas for a peace settlement, aimed at bringing the Russia-Ukraine conflict to a close. But many fear Beijing might provide military assistance to Russia while the conflict continues. The two superpowers are now standing on opposing sides of the geopolitical conflict, just days before the one-year anniversary of the war. Beijing's current alliance with Russia has raised alarm for Western countries across the globe. On the other hand, China has remained an ally of Russia all throughout the invasion of Ukraine, despite Western sanctions. Chinese officials see the war as a legitimate response to U.S. intervention. Trade between China and Russia has also skyrocketed amid the conflict. So far, Russian officials have yet to comment on Wang Yi's visit. 
Biden's trip comes just after a message from America's senior foreign policy official. It's a warning to China. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken met with Beijing's top diplomat Wang Yi on the sidelines of the Munich Security Conference over the weekend. During the talk, Blinken told Wang that China providing arms to Russia would be a serious problem. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more. Blinken says the U.S. has long feared China would provide weapons to Russia. Chinese leader Xi Jinping promised Russia a partnership with no limits last year. That was just weeks before Putin sent his troops into Ukraine. Since then, ties between the two countries have only grown stronger. According to Blinken, information from U.S. intelligence now suggests China is considering providing such arms to Russia. Blinken met with the CCP's most senior foreign policy official Wang Yi in Munich over the weekend. He said, quote, it was important for me to share very clearly with Wang Yi that this would be a serious problem. Senator Lindsey Graham says the world should come down hard on China if it provides lethal weapons to Russia. Graham says it would be the most catastrophic thing that could happen to the U.S.-China relationship. Meanwhile, the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. called the Chinese arming Russia a red line. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. On Monday, China pushed back against the criticism, blaming the U.S. for what it called deflecting blame and spreading disinformation. The Ukraine war, one of several topics on the agenda during Blinken's meeting with top Chinese diplomat Wang Yi Saturday. Blinken also told Wang that the violation of American airspace by a Chinese balloon can never happen again. Just before their meeting, Wang took a swipe at the United States, accusing Washington of what he called violating international norms when the U.S. military shot down the balloon. Wang described the move as unimaginable, hysterical, and absurd. When Wang was asked whether he would engage with U.S. delegates to restore Sino-U.S. dialogue, he responded that the U.S. should show sincerity correct its mistake and resolve the incident, which he said damaged Sino-U.S. relations. At the meeting with Blinken, Wang did not apologize for the incident. That's according to what Blinken said in an interview on NBC's Meet the Press. Blinken said the U.S. did not overreact in shooting down the balloon and added there was no doubt the craft was attempting to surveil the U.S. The Chinese balloon spent a week flying over the United States and Canada and in some cases, lingering over American military bases. U.S. troops shot it down off the Atlantic coast earlier this month. Beijing insists it was only a weather balloon. The incident prompted Secretary of State Blinken to postpone a planned visit to Beijing early this month. The incident has also worsened relations between Washington and Beijing. During the weekend meeting, the two sides did not talk about rescheduling Blinken's visit. An unusual round of foreign visits this weekend, with officials from both the U.S. and China arriving on a certain Indo-Pacific island at the same time. First up, a group of U.S. lawmakers is in Taiwan for a five-day visit. The delegation arrived on Sunday. The lawmakers are set to meet with President Tsai Ing-wen, plus members of the island's ruling and opposition parties. The delegation also met Morris Cheng Monday founder of the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, or TSMC. The head of Taiwan's legislature spoke during the visit. China's obvious intention is to annex Taiwan. It has disrupted Indo-Pacific stability and threatened international peace. Taiwan is the bulwark of democracy in Asia and the Chinese-speaking world. He also voiced desire for more U.S.-Taiwan cooperation and stronger economic ties. 
I want to thank the U.S. government's support for Taiwan. We speak the same language of democracy and freedom. The U.S. side acknowledged China's opposition to formal dialogue between Taiwan and foreign governments. But our efforts to come here uh, are in no way uh, provocative uh, of, of China, but one uh, consistent with the president's uh, foreign policy uh, that recognizes the importance of the relationship with Taiwan while still seeking ultimately uh, peace in the region. Beijing claims Taiwan as its own, to be taken by force if necessary. The island has never been ruled by the Chinese Communist Party. This weekend also saw another foreign visit to Taiwan. This one far more unusual. A group of Chinese officials arrived on the island Saturday. It's their first trip there in three years since the pandemic began. Taiwan's government allowed six officials to visit and attend the Lantern Festival in Taipei. They came at the invitation of the city's government. The group is led by Li Xiaodong. He's the deputy head of the Shanghai branch of China's Taiwan Affairs Office. Their arrival met with local pushback. Around a dozen pro-democracy supporters protested outside the airport, shouting slogans like, Taiwan and China, separate countries, and Chinese people, get out. Nearby, a separate group of pro-Beijing supporters voiced their welcome. China's Communist Party has refused to speak to Taiwan's government since 2016. That's when President Tsai Ing-wen took office. Beijing considers her a separatist. Despite that halt, city-to-city -city exchanges had continued until the pandemic hit. Tsai's administration has cautiously tried to relaunch less sensitive interactions between China and Taiwan since late last year, when it lifted pandemic-related border controls. The efforts aim to encourage goodwill with Beijing, even in the face of its military aggression towards the island. North Korea fired two short-range ballistic missiles Monday. The launch followed other missile tests conducted on Saturday. Washington responded to those tests over the weekend, kicking off air exercises joined by South Korea and Japan. Here's NTD's Kostemines to tell us more. North Korea's most recent missile drills are the second in three days. The country's state-run television KRT released still photographs of its latest weapon test which followed an intercontinental ballistic missile launch Saturday. The U.S., South Korea and Japan responded with joint air exercises on Sunday, which North Korea condemned as an invasion rehearsal. North Korea has threatened to take an unprecedentedly strong response to the drills. Kim Yo-jong, the sister of North Korea's leader Kim Jong-un, warned U.S. forces to hold any military drills in the region saying the reclusive nuclear state could turn the Pacific into a firing range. She also accused the United States of trying to turn the UN Security Council into a, quote, tool for its highness hostile policy toward Pyongyang. According to some experts, North Korea is pushing for more powerful weapons, effectively increasing its leverage in potential negotiations with the U.S. Cost MNS, NTD News. The founder of one of China's top investment banks has been missing since last week. News of his absence sent the company's shares tumbling. The incident marks the latest in a string of disappearances of top business executives in the country. Let's take a closer look. Bao Fan, the chairman of China Renaissance, has disappeared and is unreachable. He's been at the heart of financing in Chinese tech. Last Thursday, China Renaissance Holdings says it has been unable to contact Bao. That was in a filing to the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. 
According to some Chinese media, Bao was probably taken away for secret investigation. There have been similar missing cases before. Forbes magazine reported at least half a dozen billionaires disappearing over the past few years after run-ins with the Chinese Communist Party. Jack Ma, the founder of Alibaba, is one of those cases. He disappeared for three months in late 2020 after criticizing market regulators. Following in the footsteps of Wuhan and other Chinese cities, Shanghai residents are taking to the streets. They are protesting changes to the local medical insurance policy. A play on China's recent white paper revolution. The latest movement has been dubbed the white hair revolution, owing to most protesters being retirees. Video clips circulating online show hundreds of Shanghai residents singing on the streets. The song is called The International. It features lyrics like Arise, Slaves Suffering, Hunger and Cold. Arise, Sufferers All Over the World. My Blood Is Already Boiling. I Want to Fight for the Truth. Some protesters were also heard shouting, Give me back the money. I need to survive. Retirees in several Chinese cities are seeing their medical benefits slashed. In some cases, residents report no longer being able to afford the medicines they need. Last week, tens of thousands of protesters took to the streets in Wuhan and northern China's Dalian city to oppose the benefits cut. South Africa, now performing joint military exercises with Russia and China. The cooperation has fueled domestic criticism and alarm from Western allies. The drills also coincides with the anniversary of Russia's Ukraine invasion. Here's more. On Friday, this Russian frigate, armed with a new generation of hypersonic cruise missile called the Zircon, docked in Durban. South Africa calls the drills routine, but six South Africa-based diplomats, all from NATO or EU countries, told Reuters they condemned them. World powers are vying for influence in Africa as global tensions deepen. As a result of both the war in Ukraine and an increasingly aggressive Chinese posture towards self-ruled Taiwan, some African nations are refusing to take sides. South Africa, which says it maintains a neutral stance on Ukraine, abstained from voting on a UN resolution last year condemning Russia. Analysts said hosting the 10-day exercise, which coincides with the one-year anniversary of Moscow's invasion of Ukraine, is a risky strategy. President Vladimir Putin has called the Zircon, which can travel at more than five times the speed of sound, unstoppable. And Russia's TASS news agency reported this month that the frigate would perform a training launch during the exercises. China is now Africa's top bilateral trading partner. But the EU is by far the largest market for South African exports. A further display of solidarity against Beijing. The North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO, is weighing whether to issue a joint statement with four Indo-Pacific allies. NATO has about 30 members from North America and Europe, with the U.S. as the leading force. Japan, South Korea, Australia and New Zealand are the four allies that would co-sign the statement. None are NATO members. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg has tabled plans to invite them to a summit this year. That gathering is scheduled for July in Lithuania. Last June, leaders from the four nations attended a NATO summit, marking a historic first. Back to the joint statement, it comes as the world's largest military alliance bolsters deterrence against communist China. 
Japanese media outlet Nikkei first revealed news of the statement, citing officials from NATO. One of them described the joint declaration as mostly a political and messaging tool to address common threats, but added it would also mark the first time it's used on the highest level. Washington has long sought to show unity among the world's democracies. The latest gesture is an apparent warning to China not to use force, especially over Taiwan in the South China Sea. The Chinese Communist Party is responding to NATO's approach. Here's what Beijing had to say on the issue. According to a Beijing spokesman on Thursday, the Chinese regime strongly opposes the NATO stance that China is a threat. He further urged NATO's member nations to, quote, abandon their creation of imaginary enemies. Here's what NATO's chief said earlier about China and Russia. China, but also Russia, are increasing their intelligence and surveillance activities against NATO allies with many different platforms. That highlights the importance of uh, our vigilance. China's relations with the West have largely soured in recent years. Now the Chinese spy balloon incident and its shootdown by the U.S. military has sent diplomacy tumbling even further. Coming up, have China's pandemic measures impacted religious groups in the country? And how do the Chinese Communist Party's strict policies impact Chinese Christians? We sat down with David Curry, president and CEO of Global Christian Relief, to find out more. Get the details after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. How is Beijing's policy backing Chinese Christians into a corner? And will Beijing's actions have their desired impact? We sat down earlier with David Curry, president and CEO of Global Christian Relief, to find out more. David Curry, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. So I want to start with China. We're seeing the COVID pandemic hitting them really hard, like three years after everyone else. From what you can tell, how has that impacted the religious community or has it? Well, from everything I've seen, uh, you know, obviously China has a strategy for trying to control religious expression in their country. And that strategy has multiple parts, but certainly part of it is monitoring of Christian behavior, monitoring the movement of Christian churches. And I think what the pandemic has done, perhaps, is to make it easier for them to justify the tracking of individuals. And so all of the strategies that existed before the pandemic, wanting to shut down churches, they had any of some of the larger churches, they forced them to go from 5,000 to groups of 500, and then they broke those down. You can't meet in groups of 500, now you have to meet in groups of 200. And it's to monitor, to restrict to create a situation where it's very difficult for Christians to be in community. We could talk about why that would be important, but I think the pandemic has sped that up. It's made it politically feasible for them to say, you can't go here, you can't go there. And initially, obviously, for good reason. They take it well beyond any sort of uh, health parameters to now just trying to control their population and Christians in specific. And then now with, say, the ending of the zero COVID policy, has that helped the religious group or not? It's has not going to take changed? the pressure off the church mm -hmm. because the church, the challenge for the Chinese Communist Party is that there are 100 million Christians in China. There's about 90 million people who register, who identify as part of the Communist Party. 
the Chinese Communist Party does not want anybody, whether it's Jack Ma, their entrepreneur, uh, you know, the, the key entrepreneur we would know who started Alibaba, or any other person or ideology to challenge the Communist Party. So in a sense, it's not just about Christianity. It's also, that's why you see attacks on the Uyghur Muslims and any other sort of ideology or person that, that dares to kind of bring up the idea. Here's the th unique thing about Christians is they just want the freedom to worship. So they're not trying to supersede the communist government. They want freedom to read a Bible, to decide for themselves what they think about that Bible. Nobody has to be forced to be a Christian. You decide it's an inside job, so to speak. And to, to be in community with other believers. So it's not a big ask, but you would think it would be from the perspective of the Chinese Communist Party. I want to zoom in on that community part because it seems, you know, if you talk to, say, Chinese officials, they're like, oh, we have religion, you know, we have Christians, we have churches. But what are the big differences? Well, what's happening is the Chinese Communist Party, it, it's like a social boa constrictor that's like squeezing, squeezing, squeezing. Before long, there's nothing left. So initially, the, when, when the, the church experience was beginning to open up, over you know over let's say 30 years ago people could meet you could you could practice your faith you could read a bible all of a sudden that became available for years that uh, you know open doors was smuggling bibles into china and then everybody had a bible uh, now what you see now is they're trying to make it so that you you can meet only in certain size groups only in approved groups and then, you know, well, meet online, but then they monitor it online and shut those things down. So they continue to find more and more ways to monitor, close down, experiencing community, uh, faith communities. So, uh, you know, then you take from the, from the clerical side of it, where they want to approve the pastor's sermons. They want to make sure there's nothing in the Holy Scriptures that would challenge or in some way offend communist ideology. It's like the squeezing of the Christian experience. So what does this come down to? Is it the party wanting control or only faith in the party? Or what, what do you see this as? I think it's a preeminence of their political ideology. That, I don't think they're particularly concerned about Christians. They're obviously persecuting Uyghur Muslims, other religious minorities. I think it's really about them trying to maintain power, trying to maintain control over a large population. And unfortunately, it hurts everybody across the civilization because you're not getting the best of your people. You're not allowing the freedom of thought, freedom of creativity. And in the spiritual realm, obviously, uh, my concern is for uh, persecuted Christians preeminently. That's what Global Christian Relief is. We're here to stand with and to be present with Christians in China and elsewhere. But uh, what you see is that people are not able to freely feel like they can read a Bible, study the words of Jesus, decide to go to church without being monitored, without having their travel restricted because they go to church or take their kids to church. That happens. Without having perhaps their kids kept from university because they're Christian. That happens right now today. Without losing your job. All of these things, are, it's a social control mechanism, very Orwellian in nature. And with, say, Xi Jinping securing his third term last October, and then with the COVID, it seems there's 
maybe been some change in terms of China. We saw the white paper protest movement where people weren't just protesting the COVID, but also calling on Xi Jinping himself to step down, the CCP to step down. Do you see changes in that and maybe more people turning to faith? I don't know uh, what will be the turning point exactly for, for uh, more freedoms in China, but I know it's going to revolve around the people deciding that they've had enough because there are a lot of great people in China. And if they decided they wanted a new uh, freedom, uh, while I think it would be a painful transition, they could certainly get it. And that's one of the things they're learning through this protest around shutdowns and all these kinds of things, that when the people are heard, that politicians, or even if they're communist or you know, ruled in, under theocracy, as is the case in Iran, they have to respond. My experience tells me that the Communist Party will do everything it can to control its, you know, maintain its power and control. And so that could be a difficult transition. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.